This morning's reading is taken from the book of Isaiah. We're in chapter 2 and we're going to begin at verse 5. Come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You Lord have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. The land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, for they will be humbled, for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man would be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. People will flee to the caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them? In esteem. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, and I'm beginning at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a great week it's been with the news that now at least three vaccines exist, which will in time help ameliorate and combat the impact of coronavirus. It is fantastic news. We can imagine in our minds at least something like normal life returning. But each of us knows that the aftershock of a coronavirus is going to last for a very long time. And I'm sure that each of us has experienced a certain shaking, which is why this sermon series has been all linked with how to live in a shaking world. And this is the final talk in the series is entitled, Where Do You Find Rest and Peace When the World is Shaking? 
And I'd like you to join with me in prayer now that God would speak into our hearts as we consider this topic. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who is present with us. You walk with us and you see everything that's going on. And you sent your son into the world to bring good news and life to the full. And as we reach out after you, please, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see what you're up to and open our hearts to receive your love. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was penning this talk, I realised, just as you realised, that the short answer to the question, where do you turn for peace and rest, is bound to end up with the name Jesus. And we shouldn't dismiss the answer just because it's predictable. I rather like the story of a young teacher who went in to teach a group of children during their assembly. But he began by asking a question. I'm going to describe something and I want you to shout out when you recognise what it is. And so he began. He said, I, I live outdoors. I have rather a long, fluffy tail. I have two floppy, hairy ears. Oh, I like eating carrots and Father McGregor isn't exactly my best friend. And at this point, a young child shouted out, well, the answer is Jesus, but you sound dreadfully like a rabbit. And I think when we consider where do you go for rest and peace, we must be careful that we don't just fob ourselves off with the correct answer, but actually don't act on it in the least. And I want to begin this talk, where you go for rest and peace, where the world is shaking, with a different vantage point, if I may. And it's just to make this observation that in scripture, in many places, we're told that when the world shakes, it does so with God's permission. Many of us at this time of year would normally be enjoying listening to a performance of Handel's Messiah. And very near the beginning is a striking number, if I could call it that, where Handel sets to music Haggai, chapter two, verse six, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And the theme of shaking the earth is picked up at least three or four times in the book of Isaiah. And in a reading you heard read in chapter two, Isaiah describes for us the impact and what happens and what happens to the way we do life and the way we relate to God when we realise that he's shaking the earth. And actually it's not very comfortable to read the description that Isaiah gives because it strikes home. If you look again at Isaiah chapter two, you'll see the description. And what Isaiah says is that God's people, God's people who should have known better have managed to incorporate into their lives so many of the customs of all those who live around them, so many of the values of all those who live all around them, 
that they've marginalised God. And now in the moment of God appearing, as they see it, they want to hide from him rather than run to him. And he puts it graphically. He says they fling away their silver and their gold and their chariots and their horses. And they say, what's the use of those? Now, of course, I'm not saying that that's what I expect to be happening all around London and England. But the principle is there. What does it take for us to realise, oh my goodness, have I lost God amongst everything else that I possess? And a similar picture comes again in the book of Revelation. So it does seem to be a recurrent pattern of behaviour. But what could happen when God shakes the earth is something entirely different. We might consider for ourselves, is God inviting me to draw close to him again? And I'm quite sure that he is. And what we're going to do together now is just look in depth at one of the most marvellous invitations ever issued. It's probably very, very familiar to you because it's a most popular saying of Jesus. And the invitation comes in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the first thing to notice about this invitation is it's magnificently broad. It reaches out, doesn't it, to virtually everyone I can see. If you're weary and burdened, Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me. I don't know if you enjoy people watching, I love people watching, and in normal times, you might be sitting in a cafe, you might be surrounded by hundreds of people, but today I grant you numbers are down. But even amongst the numbers that are down, and even if the numbers were plentiful, there would always be no scarcity of people who were weary and burdened. It's not exactly like going out to spot a rare bird, is it? It's not like walking along the Thames and wondering if you'll see a kingfisher that day. Walking along the Thames, you can see weary and burdened people any day you like. And Jesus' heart is for us. Jesus' heart is for the weary and burdened. And this is not something new. This has been on God's heart since the beginning of creation. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. I love that. He carries them close to his heart. We catch God's heartbeat and he gently leads those who have young. Many years ago now, I was staying with some family friends and uh, I remember quite early in the morning, the little girl who was aged between four and five came into the room and she asked her daddy, Daddy, what does the word worry mean? And actually the father had to think really quite hard to try and explain to this girl who hadn't experienced this what it does mean. And I thought, how glorious. Most of us, we don't have a problem understanding or, or living 
worry. We experience it all too well. Well, Jesus reaches out to those who are worried, wearied, burdened. And before we can come to him, before we actually trust him enough, it's no different from approaching anyone else. You need to know, well, before I'm vulnerable to you, what is actually in your heart? Can I trust you? And Jesus speaks to that when he says, because I am gentle, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And we need to lean into that word gentle to try and catch exactly what Jesus is describing. And when I investigated exactly what it means, commentators told me that it is quite precise, actually. It can be translated meek, but I'm not sure that helps us a lot because then we have to think about, well, what does meek mean? And often people think that equates with weak, but it doesn't. This word gentle really means controlled strength. And maybe it's easier to catch the image if you think of some powerful animal, like a very strong horse. And I think they're called Lipsana horses, the horses that perform in Vienna. They're absolutely massive things, and you can see they have great, great strength. And yet they're trained to do the most incredibly delicate maneuvers. And when it comes to Jesus, his strength is absolutely awesome. Absolutely no one who met Jesus thought that he was a weakling or a pushover. You may need to think of his encounters with the religious authorities and how combative he was, or when handling demons, or when overturning the tables of the money changers in a temple. He could be fierce if he wanted to, but he could be gentle too and kind. I think the best example of his controlled strength actually can be found all through the last chapters of his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll remember that his friend Peter couldn't bear it when he was being arrested. And Peter whips out his sword, strikes off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus says, put back your sword. And then he says, don't you know all those who draw the sword will die by the sword? Aren't you aware I can call on my father? And he'll at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But Jesus didn't do it because he had his strength under control. In the Old Testament, this quality of God's is described movingly like this, a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering flame he will not extinguish. And Matthew quotes those verses in his gospel too. That's exactly what God is like. Despite his enormous strength, he won't snuff us out. He won't flick us away when we're on the point of breaking. Now his heart is gentle, so we can approach him with confidence. Now back to this invitation of Jesus's. Yes, he says, come to me, come to me, if you're weary. 
And then he promises something. He promises a gift, or more precisely, an exchange. We're used to exchanges. We talk in London of the stock exchange or the metal exchange. Well, here there's an exchange. An exchange, we hand over weariness, tiredness, burdens, and God gives us peace and rest for our souls. And again, this isn't some New Testament idea that suddenly arrives with Jesus. It, it's consistent with God throughout the scriptures. In Isaiah, Isaiah writes, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who's, who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I'll heal them, but the wicked are like the tossing sea who cannot rest whose waves cast up ma and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And that's in Isaiah 57. And this is one of the reasons that it's so important to come to Jesus himself, because we'll never find peace. We'll never find abundant life. We'll never know what it is to be burden free unless we bring our lives into God's presence. And it's Jesus saying, go on, come on, come on, let me bring that soul rest to you. And if being shaken were to drive us into the arms of God, well, that would prove to be worth it. I'm sure each of us knows people, if we haven't experienced it ourselves even, we'll know people whose lives haven't gone the way they planned, and in that moment of crisis, or maybe after months and months of crisis, it's as if God has been speaking to them saying, yes, this has been from your point of view a disaster, but turn to me and see what I can do, because I care. I care for the weary and burdened. In fact, I'd be very, very surprised if that didn't happen in some form or other for all of us at some point in our life. But let's see that in this invitation, there's not just an open offer, it also really is a conditional offer, an offer that rests on conditions. And the condition is this, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I don't know much about farming, but I have seen pictures of animals that are yoked together. And it's very clear, isn't it, that if you're yoked to something else, one animal to another, if we were yoked to Jesus, we would have to keep in step with him. We'd have to agree, really, to go wherever he leads us. We would, we would be saying to him, you can be the Lord of my life. And Jesus says that to us. If you want to receive the wonderful gift I have, then you've got to let me put my yoke upon your shoulders. And we might balk at that, and I'm sure we would. But Jesus says, and know this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm told by those who study these things that it doesn't mean uh, because my yoke is easy peasy, it, it's, it, it's a cinch to accomplish. No, but what it does mean is 
My yoke is well fitting. It's made to measure. It's perfect for you. And this is the reassurance that Jesus gives to his followers, to you and to me, even when the world is shaking. Come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I can refresh you. You can trust me, but you must, you must walk in step with me. And don't worry, because my plans for you are tailor-made for you. And the last condition is this, and learn from me. It is true, isn't it, that we are disciples for life. The L plates never come off. We're always learners. And Jesus says, yes, you are. Come to me. Come to me. Trust me. Catch what's going on in my heart. And you'll find rest for your souls and purpose for your life. Let's pray that that's exactly what we will do over the coming weeks and months, both individually, but also together as God's family, egging one another on time and time again to come back to the source of our life, not to be afraid, not to be cast down, but to encourage one another and to be saying to the Lord, Lord, this corona pandemic, shaking us to the core, individually, as a church, as a country, as a universe, really, Please, Lord, reach out to us and teach us to come to you, to be willing to walk in step with you and to receive your rest. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the love that you have for us. And thank you for this magnificent invitation, which we need to respond to, not just once, but time and time again. Please, Lord, give us the reality of experiencing the peace and love that you have. We pray for those that we know who are in trouble today, who are bowed down and burdened. And we ask, Lord, that you would step in and change the whole situation. In Jesus' name, amen.